Have you, you seen all, all of our enlarged locks? Mm, you should get that looked at. Yeah. Welcome to We Should Know Better, the podcast where we hitchhike through Wikipedia. I am Sky. I'm Kyle. And I'm Tim. All right. What we do here is uh, I'm hosting tonight, and these two are going to compete to get from a starting page on Wikipedia to an ending page on Wikipedia by only clicking links within the pages. And tonight we are starting at Erie Canal. Oh, no. And we're ending at Fats Domino. What? Oh, man. Yeah. (laughs) So... I was going to come up with, I was going to be clever and come up with like, I was like, oh, this is going to come out like the day after Halloween. Because I was going to do like a Halloween-y sort of episode and I'm like, ah, oh, it's going to come out afterwards. What if I did like pseudo scary spooky stuff? So I was like, the eerie canal, you know, like the eerie canal. <laughs> it's eerie. Or like, let's, or like, is there a page for vamping? Like. Oh my gosh. Like, what? But then I was like, also, but also fats like passed away and then thought that might be a good thing to go to so it turned out it was <laughs> so, <laughs> I, so okay that's what we're gonna do sky before we do this also we were just at we... vampire bat so we couldn't do that either i don't know yeah mm-hmm. sorry about that i didn't realize that was gonna happen when i did that run have you completed this run because i know occasionally occasionally it just sounds cool have you done this run? Have I done this run? No. But I checked Oh my gosh. I checked the pages that link to fats and you guys should be able to get there. <laughs> okay. okay. Hmm. All right. All right. I trust you. I, I, also the yeah. Erie Canal page is very big. You have a lot oh, to good. work with. Okay. All okay. right. All right. So uh to figure out who's gonna go first, I have a little trivia question. This is very similar to yours last week, or at least last episode, uh Kyle. Mm-hmm. Um and it is going to be the second I close the page. Cool. That's exactly what I did last episode. <laughs> yep. In true, just <laughs> j- I'm just copying you at this point. Um, but what you're going to tell Imitation. me? Uh, Imitation is the best. Uh, yeah, is the best form of flattery. It's okay. Um, between one and one hundred. Two. How many? Mm, how many? <laughs> How many fewer locks are there on the Erie Canal today than there was when it was first constructed? Oh my gosh. Wow. Yep. Send me oh, send wow. me your answers. Whoever's closest. How many fewer? Yeah. There are fewer locks in the Erie Canal now than there yeah. were when it was constructed. <laughs> yeah. That's a really yeah. in- that, No, that's a really interesting way to do you know that's why really I ended up doing this? Because I was like, oh, man, I should ask them how many locks are in the Erie Canal. And I'm like, oh, but I have to pick, like, modern or, like, when it was first made. And I was oh, like, nice. wait, no, I don't. Clever. I can just no. do the difference. <laughs> I can have it all. Yeah, I can have it all. Uh, let's, all right. Tim sent me his. Kyle sent me his. Uh, all right. Tim says 19. Kyle says Dang 15. It. Tim is closer. Oh, Are you kidding yeah. me? 48. Wow. What? 48 fewer locks. There used to be 83 locks in the Erie Canal. There are only 35 now. Oh, my gosh. Budget cuts. Yeah. I don't know. Also, things are just more efficient, I think. Yeah. And boat cuts. And <laughs> boat just cuts. less water. Less water. <laughs> I think they just, like, equaled stuff out a little bit more. Don't know. Wow. 
Well, yeah. Good job. Excuse yeah. me. Way to go. Mm. All right, Tim. <laughs> oh, I, I see. I, I see how it is. We're, we're very thrilling. Yep. Sorry. <laughs> so there's, uh, there's not a lot of things that actually go across all of, of New York State, but the Erie Canal is one of them. Yes. <laughs> it is a canal in New York that's part of the east-west cross-state route of the New York State Canal System, formerly known as the New York State Barge Canal. Originally, it ran 363 miles from Albany on the Hudson River to Buffalo at Lake Erie. Uh, built to create a navigable... Navig- I always hate this word, navigable. It's a dumb word. Because I always yes. want to put a T in there somewhere. Yeah. Navigatable. Yes. Water route Navigatable. New York City. <laughs> Navigatable. Water route from New York City and the Atlantic Ocean to the Great Lakes. It was completed sounded- in 1825 and at the time was the second longest canal in the world after the Grand Canal in China. Uh, greatly affected the development and economy of New York, New York City, and the United States. Uh, in a time when bulk goods were limited to pack animals and there were no railways, water was the most cost-effective way to ship bulk goods. You just load everything up on your mule, you push the mule into the water, and you float it down the canal. <laughs> <That's> a- <laughs> there you go. Yeah. Uh, the canal was first denigrated by its political opponents as Clinton's folly or Clinton's big ditch. Um, who's Clinton? What's with his ditch? Yeah. yeah it's kind of weird Wikipedia article that you would bring up the terms Clinton's folly and Clinton's big ditch without mentioning who Clinton was. I mean... Uh, so it was New York Governor DeWitt Clinton is uh, the folly man that they are talking about. Uh, it okay. cost $7 million to build uh, and started on July 4th, 1817. Like so, as you head toward New York City, of course, the elevation takes a drop. Uh, okay. So if you're going through the locks, the locks are pretty much used, I think, going from uh, the Atlantic to Lake Erie. I think so. You're getting, yeah, yeah you're getting uh, risen I, up. Yep. Uh, there's a town called Lockport <laughs> near Niagara Falls, uh, which I'm guessing is named after the locks. It's mentioned in here. Um, but let's see here. Um, seeing if there's anything else that's interesting in terms of like any any cool things got shipped on the canal at any time. Um, oh, oh, the canal yeah, helped bind the still new nation closer to Britain and Europe. The British repeal of the Corn Law resulted in a huge <laughs> increase in exports of Midwestern wheat to Britain. The Corn nice. Law trade between <laughs> Canada trade between the United States and Canada also increased as a result of the Corn Law. And a reciprocity free trade agreement signed in 1854. Much of this trade flowed along the Erie. Nice. Anything about ghosts? <laughs> One cool thing here was the Sunday closing debate. Said so the New York State legislature debated closing the locks in the Erie Canal on Sundays uh, when they convened in 1858. However, George Jeremiah and Dwight Batchelor, two of the bill's opponents, argued that the state had no right to stop canal traffic on the grounds that the Erie Canal and its tributaries had ceased to had ceased to be wars of the state and that the canal at its inception had always been imagined to be an extension of nature an artificial river where they had oh my they, there had not been any so like you can't mm-hmm. and so the canal succeeded by sharing more in common with lakes and seas than it had with public roads jeremiah and, and bachelor argued successfully that just as it had been unthinkable to haunt to halt ocean going navigation on sunday so was the canal like so mm. It's just, That's it's just incredible. A, it's just a thing of nature. Wait, what do they call it? A an extension of nature? Yeah, like a, an extension of nature. 
Oh, that's such a great bureaucratic line. Yep. Like, oh, I love it. Mm-hmm. Well, Let's... if you would like to visit uh, pertinent areas of the Erie Canal, you can visit one of many parks and museums along its route. You could visit the, the Water Valet's Side Cut Locks or yeah. Enlarged Double Lock Number 23. <laughs> oh, nice. <laughs> or <laughs> Enlarged Double Lock Number 33. Make sure you pick That's up a, a passport. One. Get all, have get you all seen, the stamps. Have you get seen all, all of our Enlarged Locks? Hmm. <laughs> <laughs> You should get that looked at. Yeah. Have you ever been to the Erie Canal, Tim? I have not. I haven't either. What? Was the Erie Canal a big deal for you growing up, Kyle? Like for I think yeah, like for yes. us it was like, okay, good. I wasn't sure if it was just because like we grew up and, near it. So I always thought like it was just emphasized because we were near it. Okay. So I'm going to let Tim pick first, but there was, as soon as you mentioned the Erie Canal, I knew what my first link was going to be. What yeah. Gonna I'm, probably gonna, I'm probably going to steal it from you. No! Yeah, how man. dare you? Yep. How dare you? I might. We'll see. Um, oh, but, damn. okay, so most of the locks on the Erie Canal are just named E number. E11, yeah. E21. <laughs> yeah. But the one at Troy at the start is called the Troy Lock. And the one at Buffalo on the other end is called the Black Rock Lock. What? Badass. Yeah. <laughs> that is pretty I would. Is I would good. create, like, a a party... At okay. that area, and I would call it the Black Rock Lock Block Black Rock. Rock. Black Rock. Oh, good. Good. I'm into it. Uh, but anyway, let's go on. Uh, so, yeah, uh, thinking of Fast Domino reminds me about songs about the Erie Canal. No. Yep. Sorry, dude. That's <laughs> such a good song, <laughs> <No>. though. <laughs> um, I actually... <laughs> this song has a special connection to me because I uh, played it on Euphonium in high school band. Um, okay, I I have a story when you when you finish yours. Okay. I'm sorry, uh, but under um, like culture, many notable authors wrote about the canal, including Herman Melville, Francis Trollope, Nathaniel Hawthorne, Harriet Beecher Stowe, Mark Twain, Samuel Hopkins Adams, and the Marquis de Lafayette. And many tales and songs <laughs> were written about life on the canal. The popular song "Low Bridge" by Thomas S. Allen <laughs> was written in 1905 to memorialize the canal's early heyday when barges were fueled by mules, fueled by mules. Pulled by mules <laughs> rather than engines. I am clicking only, on low bridge. Only in wow. Appalachia, Tim. <laughs> as oh, other yes. people Everybody might know down. this song more commonly as 15 uh, years miles on the Erie on Canal. The, sometimes yeah, sometimes years. years, sometimes miles. Yeah. Uh, so, so um, Tim, that, uh, that song also has a special connection to me because it was one that I never learned in, in school. But when I uh, there's another podcast I listen to called the Antique Radio uh, Antique Phonograph Hour, uh, and it's all music that it that was recorded like uh, between 1900 and like 1918 or something like that, mm-hmm. or early 1920s before there was electric recording essentially. And they did a live show once, and they did they played. Uh, that song they played low bridge and like it was a frigging sing-along like everyone (laughs) everyone sang the song in the podcast i'm like do i just not know this song and i and i went looking it up because i thought this is the area canals right here i should know about this i'm i'm local to it quote unquote you know 
And um, I, I, I started looking it up and I, I talked to Stephen about this. All I did was say, so they were singing the song about about a guy with his mule named Sal. Mm-hmm. And Stephen was like, yeah, it's Low Bridge. <laughs> like, like. I'm impressed that he, knew, that he knows the official name of it too. He he had to play it in band, but like he's like, "Do you not know this? How did you grow up and not know this?" <laughs> like I I I just didn't know. And and as I have learned about it, this was like a couple years ago. It it has continually popped up, like in just weird places. Someone will be like, "Oh yeah, it's that song about that mule." About the guy with his mule. I'm like, are you kidding me? How did I miss this? Like, it feels like like I grew up and there was just a, like a giant, like every time I like went to look at it, like someone stood in the way or like every time that song would have played, like like there was a loud noise or something. And I somehow managed to not hear that song in my entire life. You got, a, you got my, a song stalker, Kyle. It, it was weird. <laughs> that song been stalking you. <laughs> it's, keeping it out of view good. all these years. Everyone oh, else can man. see it, but it not was you. Super weird, yeah. They got yeah. special plans for you. Whoa, I don't whoa! Know. That was weird. Got spooked. Sp- I am spooked now. <laughs> Jeez. <laughs> so I'm sorry. I stole your. I stole your route. Um, yeah, do you have right, a? Do you have an alternate? Oh man. Um. No. <laughs> <laughs> nope. I'm just gonna sit here. I know. I've been. Yeah. I'm gonna stay on this page. No. I've been. Uh, look. The other thing that I'm thinking, and this is dumb, but I've been like the different areas they're talking about, like, yeah, Appalachian Mountains and and such. I'm trying to think of like musical styles that would have connected there. Uh, let's see. Um, hmm. <laughs> For some reason, Virgin Forest is connected, is linked here, and that's a weird thing. Well, <laughs> you can get to the Corn Law. That's also a weird thing, sure. Fats Domino was a big proponent of the corn law. Was he? I don't know. I don't probably think so. No. <laughs> no. No, I feel like that was probably decided by the time Fats Domino was around. Uh, let's see. What else would he... Um, what else would... He, oh, wait. Where did he live? <laughs> Where did he live? Uh, Where does Sugar Connors live? Yeah. <laughs> 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 Fast dominoes from the rainforest? No. <laughs> oh, he's from yeah, Australia. There are sugar glitters. <laughs> well, all right. They have. Oh, geez. For some reason, I'm thinking that he was from Atlanta. Oh, geez. Okay. Can't help you out here, bud. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I know you can't. I know you can't. Oh, man. Uh, West Virginia is in here. New York, I might have to just go with the state, but which one? Like, there's not... Well, okay. Let's search for Georgia, then, if it's... Of course it's not. Uh, <laughs> um, other... Nope. Louisiana isn't on here, either. Um, oh, man, I'm really, I'm really struggling. Hmm. Let's see. Let's go with... I, at this point, I'm just going to pick something and go. Um, let's see. No, you know what? I am going to go with my original idea of uh, like, uh, I mean, the, uh, 
the Appalachian, like maybe I can get into music that way. Okay. Uh, yeah, Appalachian Mountains. That's what I'm going with for right now. All right. Also, also, I don't think we've been here yet. I don't think so either. Mm-mm. I love the Appalachian Mountains. They're yeah. very pretty. They're very good. I mm-hmm. always worry about how to pronounce them. Um, well, around around here, it's Appalachian. Yep. So uh, Apple. Apple. Yeah. Uh, Low Bridge, the song. Yeah. Their song, Low Bridge, Everybody Down, was written in 1905 <laughs> by Thomas S. Allen after Erie Canal barge traffic was converted from mule power to engine power, raising the mule speed of traffic. Power. Also known as 15 Years on the Erie Canal, 15 Miles on the Erie Canal, Erie Canal Song, and Mule Name Sale. That's what I told Stephen, yep. Mule Name Sale, yep. and he knew it. And it's, yeah, it's a also accepted name. Song memorializes the years from 1825 to 1880 when the mule barges made boom towns out of Utica, Rome, Syracuse, Rochester, and Buffalo. Uh, before the Buffalo Wing. Uh, transformed New York into the Empire State, the tune is sadly nostalgic, it says. It's beautiful, yes. Uh, the music cover, uh, which you can see on the page, it's pretty nice, uh, depicts a boy on a mule getting down to pass under a bridge. Because he's along the side of the canal, and there's a bridge over it, and you got to duck down. It's going to get clotheslined. Uh, early 20th century recordings of the song include ones by Billy Murray and Vernon Dalhart. Songs become part of the folk repertoire, recorded by folk singers like Glenn Yarborough, Pete Seeger, and the Weavers, the Kingston Trio, the children's series Veggie Tales, and what? artists <laughs> like the Sons of the Pioneers. Which one of nope. those does not belong? <laughs> Hold on, I'm looking this up right now. Oh man, there are <laughs> alternate lyrics. Yep, Bruce Springsteen recorded the song on his 2006 album We Shall Overcome, The Seeger Sessions. The cartoon no. series Animaniacs parodied Low Bridge with their song about the Panama Canal, which I remember. Uh, and yeah, so uh, let's, let's get, dive into some of these lyrics. Traditional lyrics for Low Bridge. I've got an old mule and her name is Sal. Fifteen years on the ear. Oh, now I'm going to have to sing it. Sorry. Yeah, yeah, of course you do. Fifteen years on the Erie Canal. She's a good old worker and a good old pal. Fifteen years on the Erie Canal. We've hauled some barges in our day. Filled with lumber, coal, and hay. And every inch of the way I know. From Albany to Buffalo. And that's all I'm going to go. That's up to the chorus, which is just low bridge, everybody down. Low bridge, because we're coming to a town. And you'll always know your neighbor, and you'll always know your pal if you've ever navigated on the Erie Canal. There's some great alternate lyrics here. What would I be if I lost my pal 15 miles on the Erie Canal? I'd like to see a mule good as my sail 15 miles (laughs) on the Erie Canal. A friend of mine once got her sore. Now he's got a broken jaw because she let fly with an iron toe and kicked him back to Buffalo. How do you how do you rhyme sore and jaw? I know they don't even try. Jor, they did it. Yeah, no, they saw. did it by kicking it with a mule. I, I guess mean, so. yeah, uh, that is a so good one. So apparently, uh, okay, okay. So apparently, Paw Grape sings "Low Bridge" at some point in one of the Veggie Tales. Uh, Veggie Tales. Yeah, videos. it says Veggie Tales on here. Yep. Uh, when I clicked on it, it it took me to or my. Uh, my computer did the this is an unsafe web page mm. uh link so i'm not following that up but it happened <laughs> apparently so sure. um where hmm. are you going to go tim that's a good question you got some music people yeah there's some music people here which one would get me closest to fast domino bruce springsteen no. is there but i 
don't want to go with him because we've we've talked about him a lot. Yeah, we went there. Um, I want to go to the Kingston Trio. Okay. Look at those guys. Whoa, those are dorks. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, Kingston Trio. You you are a a staple of folk music, but oh boy. Oh. Oh. Wonderful. All right. I'm so, Kyle, you're I'm so glad. Appalachian or Appalachian or I'm Appalachia. So glad we're doing this. Oh. Appalachia. Uh, yeah. Yeah. The Appalachia Mountains, uh, often called the Appalachians. Whoa, 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 uh, whoa, whoa. Appalachians. What, what, what? Appalachian. Yeah, Appalachian. I thought this, this video or this sound clip just said Appalachian. And I'm like, what? <laughs> That's not a thing. Apple, mm-hmm. Appalachian. Yeah. Yeah, Appalachian also possible mm. yep. uh, if you live in other parts of the U.S. that are not Northeast Ohio. Our, our system of mountains in the in Eastern North America, the Appalachians, first formed. <laughs> it's hard to do. Yeah, first formed roughly four hundred eighty four hundred eighty million years ago during the Ordov- or Ordovician period. Let's go with. Um, it once reached elevations similar to those of the Alps and the Rocky Mountains before naturally occurring erosion. Okay, yeah, we'll, we'll just blame it on that. Yeah, yeah, it's okay. It's mm-hmm. all right. Um, the Appalachian chain. Ah, oh, I can't do it. Yeah, Appalachian chain is a barrier <laughs> to east-west travel as it forms a series of alternating ridgelines and valleys oriented in opposition to most roads running east or west. It's also beautiful if you have to drive through there, especially early in the morning. Yeah. Um, we, whenever we would uh, visit, we have, we have one family in our family, uh, one, one relative that lives outside of Ohio, and we would go visit them occasionally. Uh, and in order to make the trip, we would leave like first thing. Uh, and we would always drive right through the mountains um, just as dawn was coming up. And it is one of the most beautiful things I remember from, like, as a kid. Like, it was just gorgeous. Uh, everything's cloudy, a little bit pink and a little bit blue. And you can just see, like, just the edges, like, just the tips of the trees. And, like, it's it's not even like the trees are there, but just, like, the outline of them. Yeah. Uh, so it's a little bit creepy as well, but also just stunningly pretty. <laughs> mm-hmm. Um, anyway. Uh, although, uh, also I have a weird thing that every time we've driven back, anytime I've driven back through that area on my way back to Ohio, um, it has stormed every single time. Wow. I don't know like, if it's just a timing thing or what, but I've managed to drive through a storm at least once every time I go through the, through the Appalachians, but it's very pretty. So I don't care. Um, have you guys, you guys have been through there a couple times, I'm sure. I have, yeah. A little bit, yeah. It's, but not really that much. I've been to, like, Gatlingburg in that area. Oh, yeah? Yeah, the Smoky Mountains. Yeah, that's, that's very pretty. Mm-hmm. Drove through there to go get our cat, because I'm insane. <laughs> oh, I forgot about that! Yeah. I forgot about that. That means you drove back through there with a cat. Yeah. We drove did, like twelve hours to get this cat what, overnight. Which cat was it again? Kit. And and how did Kit we had react to, go find to the, the mountains? <laughs> I don't know. Like I drove through the night. We picked up the cat, and then oh, Candace drove, and I kind of slept. But the cat was very upset, and so I I, 
got the cat out and held her and she was she was very content after being held. Aww. Yeah. Oh. Kit's a good cat. Yeah, she is. Um yeah, one a high quality cat, no doubt. Yes. Um the the one part of this page that I really want to read though is I mean, there's just a lot. Uh but the fauna because especially because the the first sentence of the fauna section is just <clears throat> Animals that characterize the Appalachian forest include five species of tree squirrels, period. <laughs> Full stop. That's it. Most commonly that's, seen that's, is low to moderate elevation and eastern gray squirrel. Yeah. Uh, and then there's the slightly larger fox squirrel, the much smaller southern flying squirrel, which I didn't even know that yeah. was here. Uh, well, I guess they're they're I guess they're very small. Wow, because the whole I've never first seen paragraph one. is just about squirrels. It's squirrels, man. <laughs> And it doesn't get much bigger until a little bit later. Uh, yeah, uh, the red squirrel, then the normal, the normal, yep, the normal flying squirrel, northern flying squirrel, <laughs> uh, which closely resembles the southern flying squirrel. Oh, great. Of course. <laughs> Wait, are they just the, the same squirrel? They're the same squirrel, guys. <laughs> uh, one, one only flies in clockwise directions. The other flies in cl- counterclockwise directions. Mm. Um. As familiar as squirrel. Oh, the next sentence, the next paragraph starts with squirrels again. As familiar as squirrels are, the eastern contail rabbit and the white-tailed deer. At, and that's the end of the sentence. That's a, that's a fragment, you guys. <laughs> they just really wanted to get in about squirrels, I guess. Um, I, I guess, yeah, there are other deer. There are some, there are some cool deer. The elk, caribou, and, uh, Moose, it says here, which I did not know was a deer. Is that true, technically? Uh, I, I, I guess. Yeah, I, mm, maybe. Um, yeah. So they also have in here, yeah, they talk about birds, which are not squirrels, but are birds, in fact. Um, the wild turkey, ruffed grouse, uh, morning dove, wood duck, great horned owl, barred owl, screech owl. We've seen a couple of these in recent episodes. Um and then, and then, <clears throat> of great importance are the many species of salamanders, and in particular the lungless species that live in great abundance, concealed by leaves and debris on the forest floor. What the lungless there, species? Lungless salamanders are a thing. That's a real thing. What are? What is that? I have to wonder. Uh, they lack lungs, conducting respiration through their skin. Oh, that's weird. And the tissues lining weird. their mouth. Great. Yeah. Good. Uh, animals are super weird, guys. <laughs> um, hmm. Well, uh, although I learned a lot about squirrels, this page is not very helpful in, in getting me closer to, uh, to, to fats. fats Domino. Yeah. Uh, I really thought they were going to talk about like the culture of like something connected to that but it's not it's just the place yeah yeah it's literally the place you got fats and you got dominoes (laughs) well okay so the other thing that i could continue to do uh at the top of this page they uh talk about the precise boundaries of the appalachians including 13 uh physiographic divisions which is a great phrase by the way yeah um i mean I, I could pick any of these places 
or they I do actually have states to work with now. Like there's I do have I have well there's Alabama. Let's mm-hmm. see. Kentucky, Tennessee, Virginia, Maryland, West Virginia. North Carolina is here but not linked for some reason. Um oh there's Georgia. Hmm. Uh yeah yeah, you know what I'm just going to pick one of these uh one of these states. Let's I I know I'm wrong probably, so uh, but I'm going to go with Georgia. 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 I, I'm probably very wrong and any of our listeners are probably like we're, no we're you text idiot right now. Uh, Texts, not even tweets. How, how do they know? Yeah. <laughs> One, how do they know our cell phone numbers? And two, how do they know we're recording currently and that I'm wrong? Mm. I mean, in fairness, I'm wrong pretty regularly. That's okay. Eh. Yeah, okay. Thanks, Sorry, sure. Tim. Go on. Lived in the rainforest. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> All right. The, the, the Kingston, Kingston Trio. Trio is an American folk and pop music group that helped launch the folk revival of the late 1950s, late 1960s. Group started as a San Francisco Bay Area nightclub act with an original lineup of Dave Gard, Bob Shane, and Nick Reynolds. Rose to international popularity, fueled by unprecedented sales of LP records, and helped to alter the direction of popular music in the U.S. Cited. Wow. Uh, by Bruce Elder, biography of the Kingston Trio. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> Whoa, wait, uh, what? Oh, okay. Kingston Trio is one of the most prominent groups of the era's pop folk boom that started in 1958 with the release of their first album and its hit recording of Tom Dooley. Lay down your head, Tom Dooley. Mm. Lay down your head. Yeah, it's no, that's all it's I know. No, it's no Sal, I'll say that. Uh, it's no little bridge. <laughs> Sold over 3 million copies at large. Trio released 19 albums that made Billboard's Top 100, 14 of which were ranked in the Top 10, and five of which hit the number one spot. Four of the group's LPs charted among the ten top-selling albums for five weeks in November and December 1959, a record unmatched for more than 50 years. Um, I wonder who beat them. <laughs> uh, and the group still ranks in the all-time lists of many of Billboard's cumulative charts, including those for most weeks with a number one album, most total weeks charting an album, most number one albums, most consecutive number one albums, and most top ten albums. They... Uh, seem to have been pretty popular. Sounds like it. Uh, in 1961, the trio was described as the most envied, the most imitated, the most successful singing group, folk or otherwise, in all show business, and, Dang. quote, the undisputed kings of the folk singing rage by every yardstick. Wow. Uh, music historian wow. Richie Wait. Unterberger characterized their impact as phenomenal popularity. And the Kingston Trio's massive record sales in its early days made acoustic folk music commercially viable paving the way for singer-songwriter, folk rock, and Americana artists who followed in their wake. Wow. That is glowing praise on Wikipedia. Yeah. <laughs> from a, bu- from a lot of very <laughs> very disparate sources. They started out in 1954. Uh, two friends got together. They got another guy on their band. Uh, they played some fraternity parties and luau's at colleges. Oh, luau's great. Mm-hmm. I've been looking for up, up vandalism on this page, and there's only one that I could find. And someone just deleted a whole paragraph and replaced it with "they suck." Ooh. Oh, Ooh. wow, harsh. Um, the first major break for the Kingston Trio came in late June 1957, when comedian Phyllis Diller canceled a week-long engagement at the Purple Onion Club in San Francisco. 
Purple Onion Club. Uh, yeah, the club's owner was persuaded to give the untested trio a chance. Uh, and 500 postcards were sent out to everyone that the three musicians knew in the Bay Area. Oh my gosh. Uh, the crowds came, the trio had been well prepared by months of work, and they achieved such local popularity that the initial week's engagement stretched to six months. Wow. Dang, they, they knew how to sell themselves. Uh, let's see here. Uh, they still play, uh, but the, the members of the band have changed regularly. The original well, three wait. trio only lasted like two or three years. 19, no, sorry, 10. 1957 to 67. Oh, wow. Uh, oh, and past members, the list is 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 11 members long. They're basically chief justices at that point. Yeah, in a sense. Chief justices of folk pop. Nice. And mark down the title of this episode. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> Let's see here. Very good. Uh, satirist Tom Lehrer has acknowledged the trio's pioneering of college concerts, observing that before the Kingstons, there was no real concert circuit. The Kingston trio started all that. Wait, what? what? That's no what they say. Wait, what? <laughs> that they were among the first to actually play circuits of colleges, apparently. That sounds ridiculous. I guess someone had but... to start it. Yeah, but, I guess you're right. Um, yeah. So there are so huh. many artists listed on this page. I'm trying to find one that'll get me somewhat close to Fast Domino. He, he's like, he wasn't like Motown or was he? He wasn't really Motown-ish, but he was like maybe mm. kind of doo-wop. I would consider Fast Domino to be rock and roll. Like, Yeah, yeah more rock and roll right. I would say. I mean, that's just me. I don't want to. I don't, don't want to help. I'm you, not Wikipedia. But yes. <laughs> mm. Which going to folk music was the right route to take for that. Um, Absolutely. Let's see here, Peter, Paul, and Mary. Yep. The Beatles. Still on that rock and roll vibe. The Beatles. I would drown in that. Um, yeah. The monkeys. <laughs> the monkeys. Question. Let's go to the Question monkeys. Mark. Let's go to the monkeys. Oh no, this is going to be good. I can just wait. Okay. Uh, oh, there you go. That's okay. Go on. <laughs> okay. Well, now I'm now mm. I'm upset. Uh, yeah. So Georgia is a state in southeastern United States. It began as a British colony in 1733, the last of the 13 original colonies. There you go. Which is a thing I did not realize. You guys know what it's, what Georgia is named after, right? The king George. Yeah, King I. George II of, according to Wikipedia here, <clears throat> King George II of Great Britain cited. Yes. Uh, <laughs> which I don't know why. I mean, this is a uh, Georgia at the Online Etymological Dictionary. Okay, fine. Fine. Uh, <laughs> the dictionary defines Georgia as named after the King George. Okay. Uh, it's a, It was originally the province of Georgia and... Uh, and it became, uh, let's see, Georgia was the fourth state to ratify the U- U.S. Constitution in 1788. And, I mean, there are other bits here. I don't really care about any of this. I wanted to tell you mostly about um, <clears throat> what is fast becoming the part of these pages that I immediately go to because I want to know the fauna section. <clears throat> White-tailed deer are in nearly all con- uh, near county, nearly all counties. Period. Okay, that's it. Great. That's what they got. White-tailed deer. We they figured uh, out the fauna. The northern mockingbird. I'll, I'll read you the entire fauna section. 
uh, and brown thrasher are among the 160 bird species that live in that state. That they named two out of 160, but white-tailed deer, top billing. Top. Reptile, <laughs> reptiles and amphibian include the eastern diamondback, copperhead and cottonmouth, salamanders, frogs, alligators, and toads. There are about 79 species of reptile and amphibians known to live in Georgia. The most popular freshwater game fish are trout, bream, bass, bass, yeah, there we go, and catfish. Uh, all but the last of which are produced in, the st- in state hatcheries for restocking. Popular saltwater game includes red drum, spotted sea trout, flounder, and tarpon. Porpoises, whales, shrimps, oysters, and blue crabs are found inshore and offshore on the Georgia coast. That's the end of the fauna paragraph. Sounds delicious. That's the entire thing. That's all that lives there. Deer, 160 birds, and about 80 kinds of fish. Sounds right. So, Hmm. yeah. (laughs) So that's all you got. Um, ah, Man. I really want to know who put that together and why they chose that line of reason, like just that. Additionally, um, you guys all know what the uh, the Georgia state fruit is, right? It the is peanut. The, it is the cobbler. Yeah, good job, guys, both of you. I'm glad that you both you both zagged. Yeah, <laughs> I I zagged. One of you one of you has to zig if the other's going to. Zag. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um. Yes. It, <laughs> It's the cobbler. You got it. Thank you. Uh, the Do you guys know what the vegetable, <laughs> the state vegetable is? No. You really want to ask us? I do. The peanut. No. <laughs> <laughs> the okra. <laughs> the okra. Yeah. No. no. The majestic it's... okra. <laughs> grown in Oklahoma. Oh, okay. Okay. Well, let's celery? shut it down. What is it? It's... <laughs> I'm now I don't want to tell you. Carrot? Is it tobacco? It's the it's the Vidalia onion. Okay. How do we not know that? (laughs) Guys, I'm looking for more vandalism here. And I'm like searching for vandalism. I just see here it says big chicken is not vandalism. And I look and someone corrected and said, like, oh yeah, possible vandalism. Because someone had on here about the big chicken. And it's not what's, vandalism. What's the big chicken? Apparently How did I in miss Marietta, this? Georgia, uh, it's the location of the big chicken, and that's a big deal. What? I don't Hold know, on. but I'm going to no. look it up. I'll look it up. <laughs> keep keep okay. going. Thank you. I was going to say, I can't just let that lie. <laughs> that's, what this, that's what this podcast Google's is finishing built on. for me big chicken photo. <laughs> Enterprise. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, wonderful! Oh, it's a big oh. chicken. It's a KFC restaurant, and it has a big chicken. It's a fifty. It's a fifty-six mm-hmm. foot tall chicken. There you <laughs> go. Hey, but it's two. It's like it's not a. It's not a, like a three D chicken. It's like a two D chicken. Wait, Here. it's a cardboard cutout. It's a fifty-six page what uh, foot tall cardboard cutout of a chicken. It's a oh my gosh, sided that's a big, structure. That's a big mm-hmm. chicken designed in the appearance of a chicken rising up from the top of the building. I think I think saying that is the appearance of a chicken is very generous. Yeah, <laughs> it's it's a vague bird shape, is what that. Is. I love that someone was like, "This is vandalism." Like, this is vandalism. And someone had to come back and be like, "No, <laughs> no, there's no. actually a big chicken." <laughs> That's really great. I'm sad that I didn't see that. Oh my gosh! Well. You know what they don't mention here is Fats Domino, because guess what, guys? He's not born here. You don't think so? 
Well, yeah, it's not. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks. What Thanks, Scott. Sorry. You're okay. I understand. Uh, let's see. But other, uh, okay, in the music uh, section here, notable number of notable musicians in various genres of popular music from Georgia. Among them are Ray Charles and Gladys Knight, both of whom are possible choices here. Uh, rock groups from Georgia include the Atlanta Rhythm Section, the Black Crows, and the Allman Brothers. Also choices here. Uh, the University City of Athens sparked an influential rock music scene in the 80s and 90s. Among the group, this is weird. Among the groups achieving their initial prominence in Atlanta, Georgia, are REM, Widespread Panic, and the B-52s. The B-52s? Wow. Yeah. Came from Georgia? That's weird, right? That's a little weird. I always thought that's, that they were like definitely north, like right, like yeah. in Canada, almost like almost Canada. Yes, like, like next door to the bare naked ladies. Right? Yeah, like they. <laughs> mm. uh, I I don't know what to do with that. That feels really weird. Because I guess I always associate like the South with like sort of not not necessarily like always happy, but sort of like not even just upbeat, but like. Very like casual, enthusiastic, yeah, enthusiastic, oh. but also like uh, chill in a way. Mm, you know what I mean? Okay, I'm just yeah, gonna yeah, yeah. finger this guitar, pick yeah, this guitar, and just go. Just uh, yeah. Whereas the the yeah, B52s are like psychopaths in a way. <laughs> Accurate. <laughs> um, yeah, they make me they make me unnerved most of the time. Ah, uh, let's see. Do I want to click on that? Oh, uh, let's. Oh, there's a state. The one of the largest performing venues is the Fox Theater. Did he ever play there? I wonder. Maybe. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> well, now I don't know if I can trust you or not, Sky. Uh, I don't think you can ever. I kind of want to click the theater instead of going for a. Whoa! Another oh, group. oh, yeah! I didn't know that because Tim's already going that route. Uh, I didn't know this. Uh, well, I mean, okay. Uh, the Dukes of Hazard was filmed was set in the fictional Hazard County, Georgia. Yeah. Um, but also set in Georgia, and this is a thing. I guess. Oh no! I'm sorry. Huh? They don't say if it's set there. Also filmed in Georgia. In case this is a thing that ever comes up in a oh I don't know trivia thing somewhere. Is the Vampire Diaries, which uses Covington as the setting for the fictional Mystic Falls, which is the name that they use in that in that series, apparently. Wow. Mm-hmm. Mystic Falls. Mystic the, the, Falls. That really feels on the nose, you guys. It's right there. Yep. It's just right there. Uh, yeah, you know what? I am going to click on. Um, yeah, I'm gonna click on the Fox Theater. I'm sorry, I was just looking at the other things. All right, to see if, to see if there's something else that I'm reading here that. I, oh yeah, Fats Domino there. played in that. Yep. Fox Theater, it is. Yep. So the Monkees were a fake band made for TV that uh-huh. was so good that they were basically a real band. They became a real band. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, weird. Um, originally acted between 1965 and 1971. Uh, with subsequent reunion albums and tours in the decades that followed. Formed in Los Angeles in 1965 by Ro- Bob Raffleson and Bert Schneider for the American television gr- series The Monkees, which aired from 1966 a- to 1968. 
Can can you please go back and read those names? Those are great names. Bob Rappelson and Bert Schneider. Oh, oh my god! You go, what do, what do these people do? And they're like, they work in Hollywood, right? Yeah. Yeah. Those are absolutely, absolutely producers. <laughs> Musical acting quartet was composed of Americans Mickey Dolenz, Michael Nesmith, and Peter Tork, and British stage and television actor and singer Davy Jones. Uh, for the first few months of their initial five-year career as the Monkees, the four actor musicians were allowed only limited roles in the recording studio. This was due in part to the amount of time required to film the television series. Nonetheless, <laughs> Nesmith did compose and produce some songs from the beginning, and Peter Tork contributed limited guitar work on the sessions produced by Nesmith. They eventually fought for and earned the rights to collectively supervise all musical output under the band's name. Wow. That's incredible. Like, we're the ones that have to, like, be the face of this. Can we please have a say in how we do this? Music business is wild. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Dolan's described the Monkees as initially being a, quote, TV show about an imaginary band that wanted to be the Beatles, but that was never successful. Uh, the actor-musicians became, ironically, one of the most successful bands of the 1960s, uh, sold more than 75 million records worldwide, and had international hits including Last Train to Clarksville, Pleasant Valley Sunday, Daydream Believer, and I'm a Believer. I like all those songs, I have to admit. I'm a Believer. Yeah. They're all good they're all good songs. Yeah. At their peak in 1967, the band outsold the Beatles and the Especially Rolling Stones combined. What, wait, what? That's what it says. Wow. That's two not citations. Possible. That's not possible. Yeah. Uh yeah. Wow. So, yeah, so they had to do a lot of recording of their show, and then they never really had a lot of time to practice live performance. So that was something they always had to worry about. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but yeah. apparently their tour still went well. Good. Wow. Yeah. Uh, so let's go down to uh, the future and... Uh, the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. So naturally, it's kind of like, well, do we or do these people qualify? So in June 2007, <laughs> Peter Tor complained to the New York Post that Jan Wenner, I don't know who that is, had blackballed the monkeys from the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame in Cleveland. Uh, oh, wow. Tork stated, Wenner doesn't care what the rules are and just operates how he sees fit. It is an abuse of power. I don't know whether the monkeys belong in the Hall of Fame, but it's pretty clear that we're not in there because of a personal whim. Jan seems mm. to have taken it harder than everyone else. Oh man, what? Okay, I gotta look this up now. What? What did they? What happened to this Jan guy? <laughs> what happened to Jan? Mm-hmm. Um. Oh, Jan Wenner is the owner of the Rolling Stone. Oh. Oh, right. Yeah, the Rolling Stone has. Um... Let's see here. Oh geez, I know something about this, but I can't put my finger on it. About about like the Rolling Stone does have a say in how and who gets in at the at the Rock Hall of Fame. Huh. That's weird. I think I think they if I'm remembering this properly, I think they do the nominations, like the initial nominations from year to year. I can't remember exactly, I'm sorry. Um Either way, though, various magazines and news outlets such as Time, NPR, The Christian Science Monitor, Goldmine Magazine, Yahoo Music, and MSNBC have argued that the monkeys belong in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Which, yeah, I would agree. Even if they, like, didn't fully record all their stuff, they were still technically a band. Mm, And even just historically, 
they're part of the history. Right. Yeah. There's there's a big part of the history there. Uh so I'm gonna click on Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Oh wow. Let's see if Fast Domino's in there. If he's not, there's gotta be someone close to him that is. Well, that's not the route I was expecting that to go. But alright. Uh the Fox Theater, I did not realize, is kind of a lot cooler than I initially knew. I, I didn't know anything about it. But um it is the uh it is a performing arts venue located at six sixty Peachtree Street in Midtown, Atlanta, Georgia, which is a thing that I expect that someone's intern wrote. Uh and is the centerpiece of the Fox Theater Historic District, according to this. That's not cited, by the way, in case you need to know. Um Apparently, it was initially uh, intended to be a shrine temple, the Yarab Shrine Temple, the headquarters for a 5,000-member Shriners organization. Oh, wow. Uh, But it was uh, completed only with the funding and a 21-year lease by movie mogul uh, William Fox, who was building theaters around the country at the time, says the sentence, is a thing that someone just does. It does look more like a temple or something than like a theater. Yeah. Uh, it opened uh, December 25th, 1929, two months after the stock market crashed. And then uh, after one, yeah, well, after another two years, it looks like uh, two and two, two years and change, uh, they declared bankruptcy. Um, yeah. And it looks like, okay. The, uh, the, in 1939, Gone with the Wind premiered there. Wait, hold on. Oh no, it was it was supposed to be. It was supposed to premiere premiere that, but it couldn't. In fact, they it premiered at the now demolished Lowe's Grand Theater rather than the Fox. Ah. Um yeah, that's that's a that's rough. Um but it also had the had the uh, Egyptian Ballroom which became Atlanta's most popular public dance hall during the 1940s and it hosted all the important big bands and country and western swing bands of the era. Um the um it it's seen better it's seen good and bad times let's say uh for various reasons but uh in june 2006 i don't know why this is noted but it's great in june 2006 the theater installed a 130,000 digital cinema uh video projection system which debuted with a showing of the chronicles of narnia the lion the witch and the wardrobe on june 26th hmm. part of the summer film festival yay <clears throat> The sing-alongs that precede each feature are still shown by the Brennograph projector, which was installed in 1929. They have sing-alongs? What? Yeah, like, come on. You, the, you, you, you're burying the yeah, lead Yeah, you here. gotta let us know about the sing-alongs. Holy huh. cow. The venue was the site of Prince's final performance. Wow, one week before his death. Wow. It's April 21st, 2016. It wasn't long ago. That's amazing. Yeah. I didn't know that. Uh, the one thing that I do want to bring up otherwise is that the the Fox uh, features a four-manual or keyboard 42-rank pipe organ nicknamed the Mighty Mo. Mm. It was custom-built for the Fox by uh, M.P. Muller in 1929 uh, with 3,622 pipes. It is only the second largest theater organ in the country. Wow. Behind the Wurlitzer at Radio City. Uh, so, you know, in fairness, if you're going to be second place, that's not one, That's not a bad uh, one to come behind, I guess. Um, it says, as a true theater organ, as opposed to a church organ, the Mighty Mo boasts pipes that range in size from 32 feet tall 
to the size of a small boy, small ballpoint pen. <laughs> small boy. Small boy. <laughs> I mm-hmm. mean, that's probably accurate too. Yeah. And is designed to imitate the sounds of a full orchestra, which sounds not possible. Uh, besides the pipes, it also contains a marimba, xylophone, glockenspiel, uh, drums, sleigh bells, a gong, and a six-foot grand piano. Wow. <laughs> Plus, a large variety of silent movie sound effects, such as car horns, <laughs> thunder, rain and uh, thunder and rain effects, and bird whistles, etc. Wow, this is impressive. I'm looking at it now. This, There's a oh lot of buttons. Gosh. It's crazy to think that this has been around since 1929. And is playable, yeah. like just just possible to play. Yep. I, oh my gosh, it's incredible. Um. Okay. Well. Oh, I I really like all of this stuff about the Mighty Mo. That it, it's wonderful. I'm I'm so glad that I stumbled across this. Yeah. Uh, I don't know where you go but, from here, though. Yeah. I mean. Is it Prince? Do I go to Prince? I think you might go to Prince. Why would you not go to Prince? I mean, I'm going to go to Prince. Mm-hmm. Yeah, go to Prince. Okay. Tim, you're at the Rock and Roll Hall Rock of Fame. Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, that big pyramidish building in Cleveland. Mm-hmm. You guys should come by sometime. It's nice. I've never I've, been. I've been there a long time ago. Went there on a band trip in high school. Mm. I actually liked it. I think I would probably enjoy it more nowadays. Oh, you actually liked it. Oh, good. I'm glad something in Cleveland. <laughs> I think we've been to this page before, haven't we? We might have Probably. a long time ago. <laughs> yeah, I think at some point. Um, I hey Kyle, I enjoy your zoo. I'm. <laughs> you have a really nice zoo. It has multiple red pandas, which is already a plus. Oh, yeah. Did I tell you? I I told you about the the red pandas. How that how things were going with them. They had they have the two, and they're trying to uh, mate them. Mm-hmm. And uh, the one red panda, uh, well, the last time I was there, um, the the female had just had cubs. Like it had, it had been days, essentially, since it had happened. Uh, so they the cubs were in, they were secluded. They, like they had them like held, you know, kept away from the public at all. Mm-hmm. But I guess after have after having her litter. Uh, the female red panda, whose name I do not know off the top of my head, is she's not friendly. They're not in a good place for a while, I guess, <laughs> after after having their litter and then not being able to just be around them all the time, I guess, mm. because they have to work with the with the keepers. And so the male panda, the male red panda, like, oh, this is the thing that I took a picture of that was the, the panda sticking his head into the lean cuisine box. Like they, uh, like they, they would hide apple slices in boxes and things like that, so that they could, you know, they have things to play with, and it's fun for them. Mm-hmm. Um, and they had, uh, so what would happen is this little this this the the male red panda would go and like play around to the box and open it and get the apple slices out, and then uh-huh. the female red panda would come by and be like, "I want one of those." <laughs> And and he would just be like, yeah, you know, like it was it, his tail would just like poof. And he just like, you know, he you could see that he was just like giving her space. They were both friendly. They were both friendly. Like no, there, no one was like there was no danger of like a fight. But like she walked over and she was like, this is mine now. And he's like, yeah, OK. <laughs> nice. <laughs> it was pretty great. All right. 
So the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Sorry. It's okay. Established 1983, the year I was born. Uh, uh, was co-founded by that Jan guy, Jan S. Wenner, Rolling Stone magazine editor and publisher. Oh, that's what it is. As well that's as attorney right. Alan Grubman and record yeah. executive Seymour Stein, Bob Krasno, and Noreen Woods. Mm. Uh, the foundation began inducting artists in 1986, but the Hall of Fame still had no home. A uh, search committee considered several cities, including <laughs> Philadelphia, Memphis, uh, Detroit, Cincinnati, New York City, and Cleveland. Cleveland lobbied for the museum, citing that WJW disc jockey Alan Freed both coined the term rock and roll and heavily promoted the new genre. And that Cleveland was the location of Freed's Moondog Coronation Ball, the first major rock and roll concert. In addition, okay. Cleveland cited radio station WMMS, which played a key role in breaking several major acts in the U.S. during the 1970s and 80s, including artist David Bowie, who began his first U.S. tour in the city, Bruce Springsteen, Roxy Music, and Rush, among many others. Cool. Okay. And they also have that song, you know, Cleveland Rocks. Mm-hmm. I don't know when that actually came in and that actually had an influence. It's okay. Don't worry about it. Um, there is some controversy down here, basically that... Uh, one of the main things of controversy is that the nomination process is controlled by a few individuals who are not themselves musicians, such as founder Jan Wenner, former foundation director Susan Evans, and writer Dave March, and that they reflect their personal tastes rather than the views of the rock world as a whole. Uh, a former member of the nominations board once commented that, quote, at one point Susan Evans lamented the choices being made because there weren't enough big names that would sell tickets to the dinner. That was quickly remedied by dropping one of the doo-wop groups being considered in favor of a name artist. I saw how certain pioneering artists of the 50s and early 60s were shunned because there needed to be more name power on the list, resulting in 70s superstars getting in before the people who made it possible for them. Some of those pioneers still aren't in today. Uh, Sister Rosetta Tharp is often considered <coughs> the godmother or grandmother of rock and roll, but is yet to be inducted. Also, the influential soul funk group Tower of Power has not yet been honored. Velvet Underground drummer Maureen Tucker has dismissed the Hall of Fame as the Hall of Fame. All right. You showed him. Wow. That's that's a thing. Um, members of the British punk rock band The Sex Pistols, inducted in 2006, <laughs> refused to attend the ceremony, calling the museum, quote, a piss stain and urine in wine. Good. Good. <laughs> okay. But. True to form. True to form. So... The very first induction of the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Very first inductees. That's not enough. Uh, what makes you think that? <laughs> I don't know. Just because it'd be funny. Um, well, let's, let's do this. Where is it? Uh, let's see here. The first group of inductees uh, inducted on January 23rd, 1986 included Elvis Presley, James Brown, Little Richard, Ray Charles, Chuck Berry, Sam Cooke, the Everly Brothers, Buddy Holly, Jerry Lee Lewis, uh, Robert Johnson, Jimmy Rogers, Jimmy Yancey. Uh, oh, no, they, they were, those last few were inducted as early influences. Um, but yeah, Fats Domino is also on the list. Oh, my god! He gosh. is actually, he was one oh, of nice. the first inductees. Oh, wow. Um, okay. I was hoping there would be some huge list of, like, all the inductees on here, which right. there's not. So I got oh, my really gosh. lucky that he just happened to be in the first class. And they decided to list the first class? Mm-hmm. Well done, Tim. Yeah. Nice work. Thank you very uh, much. I don't... I, I feel like we've talked about Prince before. I think maybe. 
We're getting so old. So I'm not. Yeah. <laughs> every time, every time we talk about something beautiful in this world, we are talking about Prince. That's fair. Yeah. Um, the yeah the, the thing that I'm remembering uh, the um, the the reason that I'm uh, remembering that we talked about Prince is that I feel that we talked about his middle name. Have, have we talked about his middle name? Um, I probably forgot do you, I don't it. Remember it? Yeah. <laughs> Okay, well, again, for Trivia Night, uh, Prince's middle name is Rogers. His name is literally Prince Rogers Nelson. Nice. So, there you are. I'm going to leave... Yeah, I'm going to leave it at that just because... Um, uh, well, I, I, I'll just go with this. Uh, he... Uh, let's see. Prince was given his father's name, Prince Rogers, which his father used while performing with the jazz group called the Prince Rogers Trio, which is a great name. Um, so, yes, that, that's that's where it comes from. Uh, so, yeah. Yeah. Prince Rogers uh, Nelson is, is his full name in case you ever need to know. And also, uh, do you guys know what the name of the symbol that he used was called? Because that has a name, too. Uh, uh, no. Tafap. What? What? Tafap, the artist formerly known as Prince Tafnap. So Taf-cap. it was. I I, I got you. <laughs> the unpronounceable symbol is what it originally was called, and then after uh, later dubbed uh, love symbol number two. Oh, the second one. Yeah. After the so, heart. I suppose maybe it's not explained. Hmm. So, yes. Uh, he describes it specifically as the combinations of the symbol, uh, like the uh, alchemical, I guess, symbols for male and female kind of joined together. That's that's what he uh, that's what he describes it as. Um, let's see. That is cited. Um, to an interview with him, I guess. Wow. Interesting. Uh, they actually use it in this in this page, which means that someone made a character for it in Unicode. That's true. Mm-hmm. Which is great. Yeah. But I just wanted to put that out there. There it is. So well done, Tim. <laughs> this is the logo for Prince, is what you get when you click on it. Nice. Uh. Oh, no, it's it, this is a logo, just one. One of the many. That's true. Okay, sorry. Well, All right, Fats. Hooray! Antoine Dominique Fats Domino Jr. Dang, was an American pianist and singer-songwriter of Louisiana Creole descent. Louisiana, yep, born yeah. in New Orleans, one Yay. of the pioneers of rock and roll music. He sold more than sixty-five million records and had eleven top ten hits. Uh, his humility and shyness may be one reason his contribution to the genre has been overlooked and cited. Uh, the big beat celebrates Fats Domino, Rock's reclusive giant. I was close-ish. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you you were looking <laughs> at Louisiana at one point, so you were. Was you were I really? Yeah, you were like, oh, is Louisiana no. on here? Nope. No, no, no. Like you, you, you were looking for it and you couldn't find it. Oh, oh, it wasn't okay. like All you right. passed it by. Yeah, you you said like, <laughs> is Louisiana on here? Nope. So like, oh yeah. man. Let's see here. You're thinking in the right great. direction. Accolades oh, well, in the good. future for Fats Domino. Can you? Do you know? Do you know any of his songs? Uh, Blueberry Hill, right? Yeah, that's probably his most famous song. 
Yeah, that's. So I think that's the only one I associate with him. Yeah. Um, let's see. What other songs did he have? Because I cannot think of any else at the moment. Which is. It, it looks like he says uh, Domino. Other oh, other ain't that a shame? Between... Oh, ain't that a shame? That's right. Yeah, ain't that a shame? Really? Great. Yeah. It wow. Is. Neat. Um, he appeared in a in several, I guess, a, a few movies. Ah, where'd it go? Oh well. <laughs> uh, he appeared in Shake, Rattle, and Roll. No, okay. Oh, that's great. Two films released in 1956. Shake, Rattle, oh, Shake, Rattle, and Rock, and The Girl Can't Help It. Nice. On December 18th, 1957, his hit recording of The Big Beat was featured on Dick Clark's American Bandstand. Okay. On November 2nd, 1956, a riot broke out at a Domino concert in Fayetteville, North Carolina. The police used tear gas to break up the unruly crowd. A domino jumped out a window to avoid the melee. He and two members of his band were slightly injured. Wow. During his career, what? four major riots occurred at his concert, uh, partly because of integration, according to his biographer, Rick Coleman. Wow. But also the fact they had alcohol at these shows. So they were mixing alcohol plus dancing plus the racists together for the first time in a lot of these places. Great, good. Uh, Great. In November 1957, Domino appeared on the Ed Sullivan TV program. No disturbance accompanied this performance. Wow. Yep. Um, That's good. He had eight kids. With Whoa! Rosemary Domino, and I'm about to list their names. There's, and there's Antoine the Third, Anatole, Andre, Antonio, Antoinette, Andrea, Anola, and Audanica. Oh he kind of went. He kind of went George Foreman on that. Yeah, <laughs> I, I love this man. This is mm-hmm. incredible. Like, uh, geez. Uh, Domino lived in a mansion in a predominantly working-class neighborhood in the Lower Ninth Ward, uh, where he was a familiar sight in his bright pink Cadillac automobile. Mm. He made yearly appearances at the New Orleans Jazz and Heritage Festival and other local events. He was awarded the Grammy Lifetime Achievement Award in 1987. His last tour was in Europe for three weeks in 1995. Uh, After being ill while on tour, he decided he would no longer leave the New Orleans area having a comfortable income from royalty payments and a dislike of touring and claiming he could not get any food that he liked anywhere else. <laughs> uh, in 1998, President Bill Clinton awarded him the National Medal of the Arts. He declined an invitation to perform at the White House. In 2004, Rolling Stone magazine ranked him number 25 on its list of the 100 greatest artists of all time. Incredible. Uh, uh, so he lost his house in Katrina. Yeah. yeah. And then here's a picture of George W. Bush giving him a like replacement medal of like the National Medal of the Arts because oh. he lost the one that Bill Clinton gave him. That's wow. crazy. Mm-hmm. That's that, wild. Yeah. Like and then man. people were also also believed he had died too in the Yeah, in the there's there's that rumor that yeah, he had died. Yeah. Oh my gosh. I remember that now. Let's see here. Passed away October 24th at his home in Harvey, Louisiana. At the age of natural? 89, from yeah. natural causes, yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. American band Cheap Trick recorded Ain't That a Shame on their 1978 live album Cheap Trick at Budokan. Aw. Uh, released it as the second single from their album. It reached 35 of on the... <laughs> it reached 35 of the Billboard Hot 100. I think that's supposed to be on. <laughs> yeah, yes. It, it personally took out 35 of the Billboard Top 100. <laughs> Apparently he influenced a bunch of ska bands. Mm-hmm. Like like the the rhythm oh. actually <laughs> says his his I... rhythm like accentuating the offbeat uh as in the song Be My Guest was an influence on ska music. Okay, I got to hear this mm. song now. The Jamaican ska band Justin Hines and the Dominoes formed in the 1960s was named after Domino, his favorite singer. 
Heinz's favorite wow. singer. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. I'm not really hearing it. <laughs> but it's a good song. Uh, I like in under the influence and legacy here, um, Domino was one of the biggest rock star biggest stars of rock and roll in the fifties and one of the first R and B artists to gain popularity with white audiences. His biographer argues that Domino's records and tours with rock and roll shows in that decade uh, bring together black and white youths and a shared appreciation of music, which was a factor in the breakdown of racial segregation in the U.S. How's that for a you know for a description of the work that you do? Jeez, yeah. By the way, mm-hmm. uh, the artist himself did not define his work as rock and roll, saying it wasn't anything but the same rhythm and blues I'd been playing down in New Orleans. Mm. What? How? How? How is this person a person? How, mm. He's too good for us. He's too good for us. That's hmm. like I don't oh, know. I guess I don't want to get into shoot. it. Domino was present in the audience of twenty two hundred people at Elvis Presley's first concert at the Las Vegas Hilton on no. July thirty first, nineteen sixty nine. At a press conference after the show, when a journalist referred to Presley as the king, Presley gestured toward Domino, who was taking in the scene. No, Presley said, "That's the real king of rock and roll." That's cited what? to Cook. Let's see. Let me find this. Uh, Cook 2004. Where was that? I, that, I mean, that is, that is cited. I'm trying to find the actual citation. Mm-hmm. I'll, 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 I'll find it. Sorry. Go on. It's, wild. it's not, there's a lot of citations on this page. There's a lot of, and a lot of, um, articles from, uh, his passing, uh, refer yeah. to that too. Yeah. That's what it looks like. Oh there my gosh! Go. I mean, that's I think that's that's, that's, life. A, that's a place to end. Yeah. <laughs> wow. Incredible. Well, cool. And to think we got here from from Sal. Good old Sal. Uh, mm-hmm. oh, uh, a history of American music. Yeah. Good job, guys. <laughs> Way to go! That's just pack it up. We got it. That's it. <laughs> Did you find that citation? No, I can't. I this is. The citation says that it was, uh, like, it says that it's supposed to link back to another one that is also from someone named Cook, but I'm not finding the original one. Ah, uh, yeah, it's not going there. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Don't worry about it. If I if I stumble across it, I'll link you guys. But I I believe it. <laughs> I mean, that's close enough. To, that's close enough to real. And if it's not, it's a really good story. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, that's real good. We'll leave it as dubious. Yeah, um, I mean, Wikipedia, you guys. Yeah. You guys can find more episodes of this on your podcatcher, whatever you use. You know, we're on iTunes and, and Google Play and all that stuff. Uh, you can find episodes online at wskbcast.blogspot.com. Uh, we're on Twitter. We don't really do too much on there, but you can know when episodes come out on there. Or you could tweet us uh, stuff on there if you want. Um, that's at WSKBcast, and yeah, I think that's I think that's about it. That is, yeah, I think so. Been doing this, um, yeah. I think we're coming up I, on our I, fourth year in November. Are you kidding me? I that's not. Let me see. That's not true. WSKBcast right? at blogspot.com. Oh yeah, I guess we just have our our thing right there, right? 2014, our first bioavailable sexist burgers was our first. Oof. October 29th, 2014. So almost three years, right? Wow. Wow. Almost three years. Uh, all right. So after doing further research, it looks like that that 
the original citation was removed, <laughs> it looks like. So, but, um, uh, interesting. This got mentioned earlier. So, uh, Goldmine Records. Not Goldmine Records, Goldmine Magazine. Music Magazine. They have an interview with, with Vance Domino from 2009. It says, Elvis, it is said, called Vance the king of rock and roll, but the gentle soul doesn't want to stake claim to Presley's iconic status. I like Elvis and Chuck Berry and all of them, says Domino. Elvis, I went to see him when he was in Las Vegas. He was a real nice fella. Uh, he too regards Elvis as the king. I like him myself. So does everybody, he says. Um, <laughs> uh, then later on he says, I never thought about being called the king, but I know people bought the records, so I appreciate that part. I sold a lot of records, so I say thanks to everyone. <laughs> oh my gosh. Just, like, just seems You're like the this best. nicest guy. <laughs> oh my mm-hmm. gosh. Oh, uh, sorry. Sorry. Mm-hmm. He's He's just incredible. Do you remember when we used we used to be able to do two episodes, two games that, in like an hour? That's <laughs> not true. That's not that never happened. I don't know how we did it. Mm-mm. Wow, this audio I mean, quality is something else. <laughs> Wait, we are you so listening young to then. it? Yeah, I'm just I've got it playing. <laughs> we we were so innocent. <laughs> yep. Oh man, those were better times. <laughs> oh, just indisputable. <laughs> I mean, for for us as part of an art, the nation that we are, we're definitely yeah no we're we're definitely better podcasters at this point. But yeah, yeah, the dark days. Yep. But, hmm. We'll talk about this after. But, <laughs> uh, that's fair. But yeah, I will see you guys next time. Good night. All right. Good night. You guys have an excellent night. Uh, That's fair. But yeah, I will see you guys next time. Good night. Right, second, good night. I just posted something on Twitter or from Twitter. <laughs> nope. <laughs> no. Is this what you wanted to talk about? Nope. Okay. Just uh, just putting that out just, there. Just, you know, why the world still needs copy editors. Okay. It's just weird that you wanted to like get it in before we closed down. Yep. Sorry. That's fine. You guys have I'll an cut excellent that out. night. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Good night. Night.